Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. We got Jim, Eddie, and Farb. We're back at it for our 20th episode. Much to go over. Black gun ownership, the history of policing, the white imagination with racism and what will change it, and even entrepreneurship with PPP loans. So if you're interested in any of those things, kick back and enjoy. Yeah, we got it. we're covering a lot today, right? I mean, there's a lot of hot topics. I mean, it's just never boring in this country, is it? <laughs> there's always things. There's always things going on. People yelling about stuff. People doing things. You know, I guess it 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 it, people it killing requires us. commentary. Yeah, it's, cra- well, it's crazy. It's crazy. I knew yeah. we had some hot topics this morning, but then we started like actually going through each one, and it's like, oh shit, <laughs> we have per usual way more than we're going to cover, and it's kind of like pick your poison because they're all awful. Um, we'll have to think of something positive to say somewhere along this, but Jim, I feel like we have to jump into black owner, uh, gun ownership because yep. you've been coming in real hot Yeah, yeah. and to be fair, it's a real conversation to be had. Yep. Um, and so obviously for anyone who's been living under a rock, you know, we, uh, two months ago, uh, I met Arbery was lynched by a few white men in Georgia and then it didn't nothing ever happened until, you know, there was a viral video that leaked. Uh, last week, Sean Reed was gunned down by the police. And none of this is new. And then, of course, let's not forget the, the discrepancies when it comes to the police department here in New York City enforcing social distancing laws or rules, which have we seen in numbers came out overwhelmingly, the people who were arrested and both summited. Was it 95%? 95% black. I mean, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, yeah. In Brooklyn. Brooklyn is 50% white. So the fact that, and I'm in both areas all the time. And so I get to see both of it. And it's, you know, that's just add on to everything else happening. So, it, so that like the insult to injury, uh, I was in Washington Square Park two days ago. And like, I saw some of the police doing the, like the Mr. Nice, like, hey, yeah. do you need a mask? Like, yep. you know, and then, uh, nearby in Brooklyn, you know, where you live, close to where I live, you know, they're beating people up, they're choking them, they're like WWE, you know, slamming people to the ground. Yep. And, you know, this is this is our serve and protect, right? Um, so you've been voicing and, and getting really loud. I've never heard you talk about gun ownership. I don't even know if it's yeah. something that you ever really thought about in the same way. Um, but you've been very pro the past few days. You know, if I'm in a state where I can learn and be safe, how to carry a gun, very much on the killer mic tip, right? Yep, um, yep, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so as you said, I, I've always adamantly disagreed with killer mic and anyone who has like a pro-gun stand. Like to me, it's just, I hate guns. I, I don't see the purpose of them. I... I just, there's nothing good that comes out of owning a gun in my mind. That's what I've always thought. And I still have that stand. I believe that. I still hate guns. I still hope that they all can be banned. Um, But I'm starting to become also a realist. I have to realize that I live in America. Um, Second Amendment is not going anywhere. I live in a country where there are more guns than the actual people. 
Um, we have over 300 million guns in this country floating around at all times. And, you know, our history in this country is a history of just terror, racial terror. Um, anything you can think of, we've, we go through it, right? Lynching. I mean, all sorts of heinous killing experiences we've, we've been through. And, you know, for a long time, I've thought that the way forward is to hope that we'll pass legislations that can sort of like curtail the gun industry. Um, but the reality is there is no political courage for that. And I don't think that will happen as long as white people are the majority in America. And with this latest incident with Ahmad, seeing what happened and, and just the facts of the circumstances in the video, mm. I had to ask myself, okay, would this young man had a better chance if he had a gun on him? Just forget about everything else. Would he had a fighting chance if he had a gun on him? And the reality is that I believe, yes. I don't know if he would, you know, uh, not be dead today. I can't say for sure. But I believe that if he had a gun on him, at least he could have fired back or at least the, the people who sued him realized that he can defend himself. Maybe he would have a chance to be alive. And if someone made that argument to me, as I've watched many black gun owners over the last two weeks talk about it, I, I bought in. Um, it makes sense to me that if you're going to live in a place where the people who hate you have all the guns and they have it legally, and there are these laws that pretty much allow them to use the gun at will. And you have the history that black people have in this country to not have weapons is literally, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it goes against everything that that's human about an individual who wants to protect their lives and their properties, um, which is the argument the other side makes. So as I've been thinking about it and been doing some research for the last few weeks, I, I, you know, I came over, I joined Killer Mike and the other um, black gun owners who sees this as in peril and, and as like not an option. Um, obviously, I don't believe that gun ownership should be something that's just rampant and everybody on guns and without the education and um, without doing it the proper way. But I believe if you're in a state like Georgia where you can apply for a firearm and you can walk into any store, buy a gun as if you're buying potato chips and all the people who hate you have them. I just think that you should have one. And I remember one particular experience I've had in the South when I was about 13 years old. I went to the South for the first time. I was in South Carolina. And my buddy, Lowe, was, he was a, a club promoter and he had just booked Lil Boosie to perform at his club. And I was, a, I was a kid. I didn't know anything. And we drove to the South. Um... When you were 13, you drove 13, to see Lil Boosie? <laughs> yeah, I was 13 years old. I drove to the South with Lil to see Lil Boosie. That's before he got big. And okay. I didn't even know who he really was. It was really, it was an interesting experience. But we pulled up at Lil's grandmother's house. I'll never forget this. We pulled up in the driveway. As soon as the car pulled in, this elderly woman, black woman, stepped out of the house holding a 357 Magnum, like just in her hands. And I was like, Whoa, what's, you know, who is that? What's happening? He turned to me, he smiled, he said, that's my grandmother. You know, that's, that's just what, that's how it is in the South. And I said, what do you mean that's how it is in the South? He said, well, if you live in a place where the police 
the KKK, the judges, the politicians, all the people of power are from the same team, um, you pretty much have no protection. The only option you have is, is a gun. Um, justice doesn't exist for you. So he said that it's a well-known thing that black people in the South has always believed that, especially when your next door neighbor is a straight up KKK member, which, is, which happened a lot in the South. And yep. the other thing he said to me that was interesting, he said, you know, unlike the North, over here in the South, racism is very clear for us. We know who's who. There is no, there's nothing hidden. There is no refined racism. We know exactly where things stand. And so in some ways, you have your weapons, you know who your neighbors are, and you just, you live. And you sort of like have this contract where everybody knows what's happening. And at that age, I didn't really understand that. But now as an adult, having, you know, the knowledge that I have about this country's history, I do think it's a serious matter, and I think that black people should stop running away from the Second Amendment rights which they have. I think that we should seriously think about gun ownership, um, gun safety, um, utilization of guns, and I think that we should do it as early as possible. Um, my son, you know, sometimes you would bring up guns, and the first thing I would always say to him is, we don't talk about guns. Guns are bad. Um, again, deep inside, I believe that. But I've just realized that what I've been doing is sort of like taking a tool away from him, which a country that he's from uses all the time. And that's not going to go away. And so I sort of like walking contradiction because I'm like a socialist who believes that people should have the rights, especially black people, out of everyone to arm themselves as much as possible, not to harm anyone, but to defend themselves, to protect themselves. Um, if you're going to get killed with fire a gun, then I just, it just makes sense to me. It's better to have one with you if you can, especially if you live in a state where, uh, where, where that's possible, unlike New York City. Ed, you so get a gun? You, no, I'm not gonna. But I know that's like the big killer mic platform mm -hmm. and probably some, you know, a lot of other leaders and stuff. But well, like, sure, what is I mean, it? Malcolm, is there argument? Is it right, Malcolm? Right, looking through the curtain with the, you know, the famous picture. Are they saying like what? Is it the case that they're saying that there's a shortage of black ownership? Is is you know is there is registration harder for black people? Like what? It, what are they saying exactly? Because you know it's not illegal for for black people to own guns. Maybe registration is tricky or something, or maybe you know because because we're, we're um, disproportionately under surveillance of the state, maybe where we are, um, we're not legally able to after that own guns or something, but is that their argument that there's a shortage? And if we just even up, you know, we settle up like the, the, the disparity in terms of gun ownership, then, you know, we're more able to protect ourselves. Is that like the argument? Well, well, Ed, um, you touched on something interesting, which is real. And, and I've thought about this. The second amendment was not created for us. You know, it was actually, you can make the argument, if you look at legislations throughout history, um, you can make the argument that it was created for the opposite of um, what we as black people are capable to use it for. So yes, there's been many tactics, as you know, um, not just when it comes to gun ownership, but when you're black, there's so many things that are put in place to keep you from having access to the same rights white Americans have access to. And obviously that's true across the board and uh, very true for the Second Amendment. And one of the things I thought about is the opposite effect of black people starting to own guns and, 
And if the policymakers and the NRA and those who support the Second Amendment start to see that we are buying as many guns as white counterparts, would that have the effect of them wanting to then actually pass legislations to ban guns, which I probably think that would be a part of it. There would be legislations coming to to sort of uh, like halt our ownership of guns. So this guns. is interesting. This is this is the this is the Black Panther grab your guns, right. march to the Capitol in order as a means to get all guns banned or well, repeal no, the Second Amendment. Well, well, so 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 good questions. I thought about both, and so for me, is if we start owning them and they're like, hey, let's ban them, then that's that's my ultimate dream, right? Because again, as I've said earlier, I hate guns. Um, right. And if they don't, at least now. We have access to weapons as the people who hate us and wants to murder us have access to them, um, especially yeah. in places where the law is not on your side. Um, so, you know, yeah, maybe it'll work both ways. Uh, we know that it's not going to be the same for us. We know that, you know, right. there will be, there will be, oh, if he had not had a gun on it, he would not have been shot or killed. But we also know that's bullshit because we've been murdered and slaughtered throughout history here. And that happens all the time, whether we have arms or not. So that's what well, I'm saying. But but also, does owning a gun turn you into a bigger target? Philando Castile was I, had a I gun I, I, in I, an I, open I, carry state. You can yeah. arguably say that that was part of the reason that, that the yes. cops shot him. You pulled him but, over. But I can find more cases of unarmed black people being murdered, including from the time we brought we were brought here, um, and you know, sixteen nineteen. So. I think that that argument that if the person is armed legally, uh, that gives you a reason to kill them actually defeats the purpose of what conservative and gun owners preach all the time, which is the hypocrisy of it, which would work fine because we already know it's, 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 it's hypocritical. Um, I disagree. I think that we are a target regardless. We're a target in a suit. We're a target whether we go to Harvard. We're a target whether we on the south side of Chicago. We're just targets, and anybody who wants to dance around that, I think, is is just silly. So you're saying, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. You might as well have one as a safeguard, anyway, just from a just from a matter of fact based basis. But aren't most aren't most people killed from like cars? Can I can I jump in real quick? Um, aren't I mean, and I don't have the statistics in front of me. I should have come a little bit more prepared, but. Um, I feel like a lot of times when you see gun statistics, gun statistics and gun deaths, there's a lot of accidental gun deaths. And so yep. no matter how safe you can be, things can go awry. So I totally get what your point is in the damn if you do, damn if you don't. The point I actually thought was the most interesting is you're like, shit, I'm very anti-gun, but legislation is yep. not going to change. Yep. Maybe if these crazy conservatives see all these black people starting to like legally properly own guns maybe some things will actually change. I actually like that point in the, in the grandest scheme of things because I actually kind of believe that's true. Mm-hmm. It's probably the only thing, but um, I, I just, I have a hard time buying into the narrative that yes, I get the defense part, but in this day and age on a totality, when you look at gun deaths and some of these things, I don't know if it necessarily overall makes you safer. It's kind of the, the same statement when, people say, let's arm our teachers with guns because someone might come in and shoot them. I mean, to me, it's like, it's different, but it's kind of similar. Like the conservative stance is this is going to make the kids safer, but most people show that it actually isn't because the defense time is never going to be there because someone who's coming to kill you is the one like 
you know, they've, they've got that advantage that you, you're not going to have the, the reaction time. Like not everyone's Rambo here. Um, right. So, I mean, but I, I, I feel for you in this situation because the damned if you do, damned if you don't thing like really cuts hard. And there, I, I can see why if I was black, I would feel this way. I mean, you can't trust anything that's being done. To your point, these amendments weren't made for you. So how else are you, you supposed to feel? And yeah. that I, I can't walk away from. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right. I've, I've thought about that, that scenario too far I've been in the classroom with the teachers. I've thought about this from every angle. And I agree, I had that same perspective, right? I thought it was dumb. I still think it's dumb. <laughs> Again, which is why I say I'm a walking uh, contra uh, contradiction. Um, yeah, I, the safety part is real. Um, I, I do understand that it will come with a course, and that course may be a kid playing with a gun or adults shooting them. Like, that, that's real. That's just a part of gun ownership, and it's, we hear it all the time, and there's no denying that. Um, and the two things can exist. Uh, I believe that. I believe that can be real, but also, again, if the option is to get murdered with one or without one, Yes, I'm not Rambo, and again, the kid could have had the gun, and who the heck knows? I mean, when things happen in real life, who knows? You freeze up, whatever. Um, but the reality is, there's no options left. It's either your life or somebody else's. That's, that's what I'm referring to, right? I'm referring to cases yeah. where it's me or the person who's trying to kill me, right? Anything else is, to me, is irrelevant in that moment. And so what I'm saying is that in that moment, which is very real every day for black men in America, what gives you a better chance? Um, I can't think of anything else. So hence why, to me, the gun argument makes sense. Um, and it's the only logical thing I can think of at this time. And the idea that yeah. you just stay and you, you were sitting ducks and get slaughtered, which is what's happening. I mean, there's no way you, you, you can, you know, frame this. To me, it's just not an option. And as a father, that's yeah. not an option to me. It's just, there's, there's no other option. I wish there were. I feel you, and I feel I mean, you about the... Sorry, you know, the moment, the moment where the guns get pulled out, I feel you at, at that moment, it's kind of like, all right, we're here. You know, what, what, when, when protection and survival is, is, is the, the main thing that needs to happen, it would probably be, be nice to have a gun there. But I think, I think what, I think there's lots of other steps that are happening before it even gets to that moment. And I think that's tied to the second amendment. And I think it's tied to the topic of uh, policing, which I know we want to get into. And, you know, you brought up the second amendment. Um, like so 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 policing incarceration and the second amendment are all part Connect. and parcel of the same thing yep you know what i mean so it's it's and you gotta you know you gotta take it back to its its historical roots like this is this is like you know the ahmad's murder is is just sort of tied to this to this historical continuity and you know it's tied to something that is bone deeps in the 13 colonies before america was even america like we talked to, I, you know what I did before when I knew that we were gonna um, talk about this stuff. I listened back at at uh, our old episode with Scott because we talked mm -hmm. about policing then too, and I was like, what what did we talk about back then? You know, I'm sure this this obviously parallels because this topic is always modern and present, and it will be for a long time. I was like, yeah. right, Thirteen Amendments, you know, South Carolina, one of the original Thirteen Colonies, but we gotta like, let's just. From the, from the very basics of of the, the organization of society, like it it goes back to 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 slavery. Like so, people talk about 
slavery and that oh it's 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 trans historical it's 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 you know it's 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 been in every major society but it it, it slavery it depends on what you're what you mean by the you know the the term slavery slavery in colonial america it was something really different and unique um it wasn't just property in men it wasn't just you know forced labor it was a draconian system of control and surveillance which was new which was new you know what I mean? Which didn't exist before, which was which was specific to to North America with indigenous people and Africans and indentured servants because um, of the things that were distinct to that, you know, section of, of, of you know, the world. Life expectancy was a lot higher. You needed because settler colonialism was so violent and that type of enslavement, you needed slave codes in order to um, control your bonded labor force. Um, it is inherently violent, not just for Africans at the, at the time before, um, you know, the slave clothes were invented, but also for indentured servitudes. Um, every, every sort of docket in the 13 colonies of like, how are we going to organize this labor classes? Um, five out of the 10, you know, list items had to do with control and surveillance. You know, who, can, where can this person go? How mobile can they be? Can they meet with other people? Yep. So if, if you create that as, as a characteristic of the society before the American Revolution, which carries on, which creates slave patrols, which which ultimately creates organized policing in its first instance before the American Revolution, which creates the Fugitive Slave Act, which creates sundown towns in, in, in suburban America. Like this is something that's core to the 13 colonies before America was America. And the society has a certain muscle memory. So in order to, so that's why the Second Amendment was created in order to crush slave through local local militias, not just federal forces in order to to crush slave insurrections um, and indigenous ins- insurrections. So it's, it's part of the same system of control, which is the same system of mass incarceration today um, and, and surveillance through, you know, through uh, um, uh, parole and, 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 you know, what have you. So, I mean, it's all, it's all sort of this tapestry that um, the common denominator is to control the movement of black people. That's why you have, you know, not just the police force, but you have civilian patrolling um it's a civilian phenomenon and it always has been and this is just this is just a recent example of it so you know is it if you if you just take the gun piece out of it can we solve the thing no but i feel jim and that when you get down all the way to like the 11th step and we've we've gone over the 10 steps before that in the moment it'd probably be nice to have something to defend yourself with but it also it also comes with um drawbacks as well it does and i'm i I, i'm aware of those drawbacks but again I bring it back to I'm speaking about life and death, my life and another man's life in that moment. And what gives me a better yeah. chance, this country and this reality. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at Ahmaud Arbery's case, it's what you've just described, that history, that lengthy history, literally is connected to just that, right? They see this young man, they're right. white, they have guns in their mind. He doesn't belong here. Why doesn't he belong here? Cause he's black. Everybody knows that. That's, that's it. They're the slave um, patrol. Exactly. They're the slave they patrol. Him, right? They have the right. They literally think they have the right to pursue the man and go ahead and kill him as he's running away. So. And the father yeah, was an ex-cop. The father exactly. was an ex-cop. Yeah. Hey, in the 1920s, in the Klan, the largest portion of employment were, was law enforcement. Most yep. of the Klan were cops because it is part and parcel of the same thing. Yep. You know, white citizenship in the Klan. They divorced them from each other. You can't. It was white citizenship meant in South Carolina before the American Revolution that 
as a white citizen, you have to patrol and surveil your neighborhood. You're part of keeping insurrections down so you can kill African slaves with immunity. And in fact, you get a reward for doing it. So if you tell yourself this is a practice that you teach a group of people for centuries, would you, ex- do you not expect that to still be in the muscle memory of, of you know, the white community? Like, it's just crazy that people are baffled over and over again. Why would this happen? Why would and, that is, and that is especially true when those very same uh, citizens are seeing people that looks like them who've murdered black people and get away with it all the time. Um, you know, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, uh, Mike Brown. I mean, we Mike can go Brown. down the line. We don't have to stop. We can go back again to the to to, to 1619, and you'll find these these examples all over the place. And look, if I'm a right. white person in Georgia and I have weapons, and I see what happened throughout history and how people are able to get away with murdering this group of people, what is to hold me back? I mean, it's just reality. Like, we, we got to be real about this stuff. You know what's going to happen next is, you know, the white guy's defense is going to say that I already seen some video that like, oh, there's video of him like in some house or this or that. And regardless yeah. of what, it, it always skews into this thing. It was like, you know, Eric Gardner or something had some priors. Like, they always want to throw these other things as if that makes it okay. Someone could have done some really bad stuff. It doesn't mean civilians can come and shoot people. It, it, it doesn't matter if the person was a perfect saint or not. Yep. And right, right, that's yeah. always where this gets like really muddled in some people. So I want to keep this conversation moving, but in the same vein, which is, uh, you know, my timeline, and I'm sure your guys' timeline was very same. You know, this, this was, this, this news, amidst even all the COVID stuff, this took front and center. Uh, everyone was just beyond themselves. And there was a lot of commentary on just the quietness of white friends and quote unquote white allies uh, who they know not speaking up and standing up around this. Um, and I was thinking about it and I was trying to just do like some informal research around my timeline, seeing like who was and who wasn't saying things. And yeah, the vast majority of white friends I, I had weren't yeah. posting about this. They're not people who maybe are like big posters in general. Um, but yeah, it, it comes back and you know, I had a friend who basically said, you don't have to be black for this to be your issue. You don't have to be black to speak out against injustice. And I think that was a really good point, um, which is a lot of white people who just live like these like nine to five kind of, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but like they kind of live like that traditional white person kind of bubbled life, right? They have a pretty good job. They have a pretty good life. They have their family and they just, stick to that and everything else can't like penetrate that bubble. Um, These are hard things. And so someone might send it to them and they might be like, Oh, that's so sad, but that's kind of where it ends. Right. Um, But at the same time, it's like, you know, I saw some other people saying like, we don't need white people running 2.3 miles. Like that's the easiest thing anyone can do. Right. So I would say though, (laughs) I, and, and I kind of get that too. So it does make it a little bit difficult if you are a white person who hasn't tuned into all this and then start thinking through like what you should do. And I'm just playing devil's advocate here, I guess it's token white guy, but uh, I don't think it's that hard, but I think where it gets confusing is I always think that actions are really where this stands. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know how much it really matters, people getting super loud on social media, although it's nice, it's like a nice gesture. But it's like, 
you know, it's like, where are you putting your dollars? Where are you putting your votes? Like, where are you relinquishing power? Like, these are like the bigger things um, that I think maybe need to be more directly addressed. Uh, probably white person to white person, but um, curious how you guys felt about all of this because this this was another kind of big issue. Yeah. Well, I have more questions than answers. Um, yeah. But but I'll say this, Fab. I one of the things I try to do all the time is to to try to think of what it's like to be a white person in America. Like I play the scenario in my head all the time, both from a bad perspective to the to the good, right? And and then I also think about what it's like to just be a human being, right? And one of the things I do is I try to flip the scenarios and say, okay, let's say Omar was a white guy and these two uh, dickheads were black. How would I feel as a human being? Like, just forget about anything else. Just a human being who has a heart and blood coursing through my veins. That's all. I don't care who it is, where they're from. I see someone being slaughtered and I know this history and it's all over the place. How do you feel and how can you not take that and do something about it or with it? I, I just can't. It, it, so, anything. Have a conversation with, you know, I can't tell you how many white friends I know who would say things like, well, you know, I know my dad is a racist, or I know my, this one voted for Trump, and I know this happened, that happened, but um, to save peace in the family and family time, I just try to stay away from these conversations. If the least you can do is have an honest and difficult conversation about something you know that's real that exists, the murder of black people, racism, um, the anti-blackness and the violence which existed here throughout this country's history. I mean, if you can't even have a conversation with your family members about that, and what does that say about you as a person? So again, I don't know what the, what the, proper actions are for some people. I don't know if posting, I don't know if shopping certain places. Um, I do know that you cannot separate black violence and anti-blackness from those people feeling comfortable in the fact that they may not have to speak about these issues. So, so let me, so let me I, push back a little bit for a second. So, so one is this, this video, the, the good and the bad was the good, the problematic part in a way was it was so clearly awful I think overwhelmingly just everyone feels awful about it, right? I think sometimes, unfortunately, when things haven't been is like, there isn't like the video evidence, people can tune out and be like, well, I don't know, and start creating. Agreed. This yep. was so just brutally awful. I think across the board, everyone was like, like this is just, this is terrible, right? So I don't think there's many people not in that boat in this situation, right? Um, now, when it comes to maybe speaking more loudly about it, I don't know. I think most white people, um, and most more privileged white people, especially, which I guess is everyone, but maybe I would say like, maybe not like working. I don't know. I don't know. I've never been like working poor or like severe poor white person. So I don't, I don't fully understand that bucket. It's like a whole other bucket to me, but, um, I think most of us have like our, our one single issue that it bothers us a lot but we have a really hard time thinking outside of that. Where I think if you're a person of color, you think about all these different issues because they all- You have to deal with all of them. Right. Yeah. I, I will say on the family thing, everyone makes such a big deal on the family thing. I think everyone is kind of shitty about talking to their family. And we all like, 
when we, when we, if we take a step back and we really think about like some of the hard conversations, I'm not talking about race. I'm just saying in general, I think a lot of people's families are just messy across the board. I think that's like the one equalizer. You can talk to most people and be like my family and everyone be like, yeah, right. It's like the whole thing. So I don't know necessarily if it's always just about, I can't talk race to my family. I actually think that people have usually a better ability to make impact in a broader spectrum outside of their family. I think sometimes just like family dynamics are extra complicated. It doesn't mean you shouldn't like, you know, come to with things, but like my grandmother, for instance, I'll, I'll put my grandma on the spot. Love my grandmother, death. My grandma's sweetest woman. She grew up in Spain, like during the Spanish civil war had all like watched a lot of her family members like executed. She hears socialism and she like goes kind of crazy. Right. And to her, it's just like this trigger. She's the only Trump person in our family. It makes no sense to me, but she's super Catholic and Catholicism goes conservative. And so it's not like that's, you can't, she, she's been like totally brainwashed. I've gotten into more arguments in the past 20 years with my grandmother and like, so has half my family on certain things. It never goes anywhere. It's mm. like, we, we like, we kind of consistently beat a dead horse. So I'm not saying that this is like the same situation with people with race, but I think sometimes like everyone gets so mad at people for not always having like the toughest conversation with your uncle. And I'm not sure if that like dying on the flag of like that conversation with your uncle is necessarily like the best use of all the energy. Like, I, I think that's almost like, I don't know. It's, well, it's yeah, important, so but like, is it the most important? And it's always the thing that's kind of brought up. And I think people then get like in their own mind being like, well, should I have to die on this flag of my family? Whereas there's all these other things that they can do to be more participatory in their own lives, which quite frankly, to me is more important, right? It's like stepping down from panels. It's like putting money in black businesses. It's like all these other things to me that push things a lot further than like your racist uncle or cousin or brother who's just not there. I don't know. It, it, I, I agree, except that your racist uncle, cousin or brother's racism or views or vote directly and somehow contributes to Ahmad's murder. Um, whether it's right away in some ways, I know it's difficult, but what I'm saying is that if you cannot even have that conversation in your own home, I don't know where else you're gonna have it. You know, look, it, the it, thing it, it doesn't mean you're not having it. It's just like, it's not successful. I've gotten in so many arguments. Oh, and that's fair, that's fair, people, fair it's and, it, and, it, and I find that the only time things actually work more often than not, I find it's like, and I'm not saying like my family per se, but like people I'm close to, I find sometimes it's the people you're like medium close to that you sometimes have like the most effect on. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, so and I don't know what, what that human dynamic is. My argument is not that, um, you know, you're going to be successful. I guess what I'm really saying is for me as a human being, there's certain things if I know about you, you say around me, I, I have to say something. It may not be successful. Um, and, and I may have to leave it alone. So maybe I'm not referring to that group of individuals like yourself, but those who flat out, like, just ignore it and leave it alone and say, hey, it's not worth an argument with my family. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, that, that, that's, that's, that's the group I'm referring to. Um, but I have more questions for you since you're the white guy here. Okay, um, I want to flip it back on you. <laughs> what about yourself? Why, you know, why do you speak up about these issues? Why are you interested in them? Um, um, how have you made the impacts that you've made and, and what, what can other individuals who are white learn from some of the journeys you've taken 
to where you are now. And I'm assuming perhaps you were you weren't always here. Maybe you were, but what is that process like for you? Because I can't relate yeah. to that. Yeah, I mean, I think in my, I think I've always cared about these issues. But like, I don't know, in my 20s, like I was just trying to like figure out how to make some money and like live a very wild like single lifestyle that was kind of I don't think too atypical to most of us, right? Like we want to go out, we want to party, we want to have that socialization. And then I think I got a little older and started thinking like, what do I actually really care about? And like, what do I want my legacy to be? And I started just turning a lot more inward and doing like some self work and then started building my business with breakout. And then like, as I kept, you know, going deeper and deeper, I think once you start doing any sort of kind of self work and realization of, of just kind of what's happening around you, you can't look away. So for me, when I speak out or when we do, do some of the work that we do, to me, it's like, it's so blindingly loud, yeah. right? It's so obviously, awfully, systemically, just brutally terrible. And we talked about this. I, I like, that's why when you talk about the gun, I hate guns. I don't believe in guns. I don't want to promote guns, but I can't not tell you not to feel that way because I feel like if I were on the other side, I would totally probably be maybe in that bucket because I'm like a pretty like, <laughs> I'm a pretty fiery person myself. And I can't imagine having every card stacked against me. It's like, hopefully people are watching the movie Just Mercy, even better read the book. We talked about it on a prior episode. That was going on. Like that book is set in the late 80s and early 90s. This is when most of us grew up. This isn't set in like antebellum South. And the, the, the court case in that, in that book, in that movie that Brian Stevenson represented with like the main protagonist, although the book talks about like 10 to 15 different cases. The case is like a joke. You feel like any, like, like a middle schooler could have defended that case properly. The, the way that the, the, the cops and the county and the people framed Which was the norm, by the way, Bob. What's up? I say, which was the norm? Like that was happening all day long to black folks. But like that—that's the norm. They put this guy on on death row, you know. And it's like, so to me, it's like you keep reading these cases, and it's like I can't not speak out on these things. Like, you know, I'm not gonna like. I, I got PPP money for our small business, right? I didn't get it through our first bank. I went to a smaller bank, was able to get it, and I have a bunch of resources, and I almost didn't get it. And I was looking at statistics, and um, if 95 percent. Uh, of black businesses, 91% of Hispanic businesses, Latinx businesses were, were most likely to be rejected by mainstream banks applying for the PPP. Part of the problem with the PPP, and even I'm gonna have it, is most of the people we pay are 1099. They're contractors, right? We pay people in like different kind of jumps depending on projects. When you think of most small businesses like restaurants, barbershops, all these different things, guess what? All those workers are 1099. So a lot of those people, they couldn't apply, even though these are the backbone of dollars to our community. So there's just all these like systemic things when you start like looking around how this works. You know, I'm reading the power broker and Robert Moses, who built most of New York City. He was the head of Title I housing. He displaced hundreds of thousands of black folk all across New York City. Guess what? His policies were mimicked by every single urban planner in the world. You know, it's it's just one thing after another. So mm-hmm. to me. I try to challenge with people being like, look, it's not about like saying like this, oh, this issue's bad or oh, someone used the N-word, that's terrible. All those things are terrible, but what we really should be really mad about is the fact that the PPP is a joke and we've like effed over, you know, people of color even more. 
the fact that like you guys are sitting around like the new deal, like, you know, spread inequality even more that all of these things are just so done by design. And if it doesn't infuriate you and drive you nuts, then you're just not paying attention. And I guess that's why I'm saying is, look, I get into arguments. I try to get into arguments. I try to get actually into discussions. Sometimes I get into arguments because I lose my cool. But I try to like share these stories. I try to share things I learned from you guys. I try to share things I've read. And I try to like point people along the way. But then I always try to tell people like, yo, I've got this dope tea. Like I love tea. I have this dope spot like right down the street for me in No Strand. It's a black business. I try to put all my like my tea money when I go there in the neighborhood, right? Like in different places. And and a rock. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that, you know, for people, we, for white people, it's like, how do we get them to opt out? And quite frankly, I think about it all day long. I'm always trying to think about like, I think like this is so abundantly clear to me, but n- most people, they hear it, they see it. They watch my new film, Leon, on, on right. our buddy Leon Ford, who was shot and almost killed by the police, right. paralyzed from the waist down. And, you know, most, most people say, wow, great film, really thought provoking. And I think it ends there for them. I know. And it's like, and it's like, what can I do for it not to end so, there? Fuck, 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 I want to hop on that a little bit because I've, I've, I've viewed myself in many ways as, you know, I have all sorts of relationships, right? I mean, geez, it's insane. And I've viewed myself in some ways as a person who's trying to do that, trying to be that bridge and communicate that because I do understand that. If you white in America, literally you live in a different world than black people. Um, and so again, trying to put myself in the positions, I think of women issues that I can't relate to and that I am not as passionate about. But nonetheless, there's certain things, if I see them and I know them, I will speak out against them, even if they don't apply to me directly. Um, so my, my, my question is for you, adding on to what you just described, what do you, and this is, there's no right answer to this. I don't know. But what do you think is the most effective way to communicate to white people that other people have humanity and that they can be a part of restoring that humanity in a way that you think would be effective? Because I'm trying to figure out all the ways to go about it. Um, I don't know if I'm always successful, but I'm curious because you went through that process. I mean, you'd like an example I- of it. So I, I wish I knew, man. My guy, what is that thing? What can like? What's that thing? I I, I honestly don't know. I I I've racked my brain around this because you know we and we talked about this on earlier episodes, right? You know, and I and I I do believe that like people reading a Stone of Hope, your memoir, important. Right. Reading the Master Plan, important. You putting out you know more stories that you've written and directed. You know more black stories. Uh, you know done by the community that's important um but that's not enough right that that that's certainly like there's all these different pieces right um but you know i i don't really fully know and i've struggled with it i'm like i got thrown into these like different like (laughs) i think i told you man like this like try to be like white woke bro reading book club i shouldn't call it that but like a bunch it's it's like a bunch of like these guys that are like trying to like read like stamped and the, and the stuff to like get better about it. And it's no, wild. That's, a, that's important stuff. It, it's good. I, and I, I don't want to say it, it is a good thing, but I will say the, the good and the bad, the, not the bad, but the, the frightening thing is how far behind most people. And these, these would be, these would be like progressive liberal white men. I know. But, 
and maybe they're progressive in like don't get me going with the liberals <laughs> but but they don't but they're very far behind on this stuff like everything's an eye-opener everything and i would say that i'm glad they've stepped into this but it's scary how much work is needed and these are actually the people that are like embracing to you know to try to learn some of these things so to me i don't know i go back and forth i was hoping in a in a very dark way i was hoping covid would actually like wake people the f up but unfortunately what it's all it's doing is just most people think it's just a poor black issue or a poor black new york issue and not their issue and we've seen more selfishness come out of this than like <laughs> ever so Man, I wish I had an answer for you. I, I rack my brain around this all the time. It's like, should I be more intense with people about this? Should I be showing? Should I be showing more storytelling? Like, I go up and down on this roller coaster <laughs> of like what my approach should be, and I'm yet to find one that really matters. And it's like, that's why I was literally hoping. I was like, oh shit, COVID's gonna hit people really hard. They're gonna suddenly feel that inequality is this thing that really matters. And now I'm like, is it? I don't know. We have 20 million people without jobs. Why do we not? Why do we not feel this bigger existential crisis? Like the stock market's still up, but jobs are super down. How do we not see that? Like we're rewarding like the wrong people, or like a few people get to play the game. But psychologically, and maybe we're a few months away, and it will hit. But I, I don't know. There needs to be this bigger moment. But I don't know how I can feel positive that it's going to. And that, that's shitty. I don't know. I think I think I commend you your efforts far, but I don't think you're gonna do it. I don't think Jim. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think I can do it. I think just like we're all just sort of screaming against the wind here. There's just a bigger. You know what I mean? Thank you for, you for making me more depressed than I already am, man. I mean, but it's also well, right. I'm, it's Ed, also right. important to be realistic. I know. Trust me. I mean, that's but why I'm you, the whole second. You gotta man. understand. You gotta understand what you're going up against, fellas. No. Like you gotta understand, like. This to 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 admit or to or to to truly know that um, Ahmad and Trayvon and Mike Brown and Freddie Gray, like all, and not just the murders, but everything, to to truly understand that there's a is a persistent pattern in this country, this force that is just constantly warring against Black people and is just so bone deep important to the making of this country, to, to truly understand that indicts everything that we think about ourselves as a collective society, as a country, as America, all the things that we understood what America stood for and why America is schools of history, schools of sociology, schools of anthropology, schools of economics, all of these things. This is a centuries long project of yeah. telling a certain people, a group that is this country that this is what America is, this is how it was, was built, and this is the mythology that you must take in and understand about why things are the way that they are. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you're not, uh, a book club is just not gonna, you know, counteract that. It's, it's just, so it's, it's, um, I think, I think to, to, to truly understand that is, 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 would be to um, awaken something truly horrible about the realization that America is not what you thought it was. And you as an American, which is an extension of your identity, um, you know, you're culpable in it. Like you, uh, you you're know, part you, you're part of it. And it indicts not only, you know, you, but your family and, you know, all those Trump supporters that you, you have to convince yourself that it was economic anxiety. I don't think we, we still 
have truly not admitted that it wasn't economic anxiety, that it was racism was the mobilizing force for Trump. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's this, it's just like this deep, deep psychological bone deep thing that, um, you know, gone with the wind, the Patriot with Mel Gibson, like standing for the flag, like all of these things, you know, you meaning to tell me that these things are tainted really. And then, so at, by extension, my identity is tainted. That's a really hard thing. And I don't, I, I don't think that, um, just sort of, dialogue in book clubs and you know uh meetings and workshops it's a pebble in the ocean white fragility like these things are these are important things right and i commend people for fighting the good fight and the struggle and like you have to just you can't not do it but so what, I, I just think we 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 truly underestimate what we're up against if we, so Ed, if we think that you, those things are gonna move the needle you, you pretty much confirm what I know and but also fear and hate which is that and I think about this all the time which is that it's not going to change um unless white people no longer have the power and in which case whoever happens to have the power then may start doing the same thing we know you know that happens throughout history also for the sake of my sanity what the heck do we do I mean I mean look I I have this let me say this, I've talked about this before in previous episodes. I have this weird kind of privilege and perspective where in America, I'm both an insider and an outsider. Um, having been born in Haiti and coming from a place where you don't get killed for your skin color, that everything powerful looks like you. And mm-hmm. to have been the first black republic that defeats the most heinous and powerful army that was, speaking of Napoleon and, and, his, and his folks, and all of that history and those experiences give me this weird sense of like privilege, but also alternative. And I'm also able to see things at time for what they are and not what the dream tells me they are. And I can't escape some of this, right? I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm already thinking like, okay, do I move to Haiti at some point, which has already been my dream. First of all, I hate the cold. Do I move my son to London, right? Which is also a privilege. But at the same time, I'm like, no, hell no. This is our country, as as much as, as anybody else. Um, yeah. Unless you're talking yeah. with Native Americans. So on the other hand, yeah. I'm like, no, that, there's no way we're gonna live here, and that's what it is. But on the flip side, I'm like, well, do I have to be real about this place and not kill myself over it and drive myself crazy, move my son to another place? You know, I had this experience in London. I told you guys about, which was the weirdest thing, being in London and feeling safer than I've ever felt in any white city. And the yeah, only they didn't have guns there. Um, yeah. You know, all <laughs> right. these things I'm thinking about, and it, they're real things. So my question is, what do we do? Do we, do we move back to a place we don't know? We've talked about that. Do we ask them to give us California and turn it to our own country and ask them to leave us alone? We know they're not going to give us California, by the way. We'll be lucky if they Stokely Carmichael already but tried What's that. the question, man? I mean, what's the answer? I mean, what, give me some hope. What happened? Yeah. Ed, are we, are, are you, like, are people going to, like, you think there'll be a, I don't know, like, people starting to buy up some land and trying to, like, designate, like, new townships? Well, maybe trying to, like, secede from the union into yeah. their own sovereign state? That was, after, after uh, Martin died, that's what Stokely Carmichael and we got five the New Black to, Panthers won. Everything here. Yeah, four minutes, that should do it. Five um, <laughs> Man, I just, you know, it's not, all is not hopeless. There has been progress in the past, right? You just got to understand what the formula was that created, that produced that progress um, in the past. So, 
you know, the emancipation, civil rights movements, the, the election of a black president, all of these things don't just happen um, uh, because, you know, we've, we're more persuasive in that time than in other times, or we're, you know, a, a different sort of brand of leadership or something. There's an external um, force that creates a shared interest in progress. So progress has never been up to us, never been up to the people that are protesting, black people and, and white people that are working with them. There's always, there's, there's this external force that creates the conditions where, where progress for us is a shared interest with the majoritarian, the rest of the majoritarian democracy. So, but at that time, if we're not pushing, when that window opens, nothing happens anyway. So we always got to keep pushing, but there's that extra variable, that extra ingredient. And I thought COVID could have been it, but it doesn't seem to be it. Maybe it's another war. Maybe it's an alien invasion. I don't know, bro. But like, it's, um, that's what creates the condition. So maybe not the best hope to end on, but you know, that's what I've learned. I mean, it's, these are things that I think about all the time. And obviously all three of us do trying to figure out what is the solution? You know, how do we just live and coexist? And yeah, I don't have the answers, fellas. Jim, you ever going to run for office? <laughs> I used to think about it, um, hey. now, especially that I am a socialist Second Amendment lover. I don't know where I don't know where I can run. <laughs> I don't know where I can run. <laughs> Killer that, Mike would be what, a campaign staffer. There you go. You got to incorporate your own your own township so you can run. That is true. <laughs> that is true, uh, fellas. We have uh, two minutes, but I, I let's let's just buy it. We covered everything. We, oh, we Biden. cover Biden. Oh, uh, yeah, we can. You know what? I, I, th I think that should be maybe the next episode, Fab. How about we right, I think each of us give, I don't know, maybe one thing good that happened to us in the last whatever. One good thing or one hopeful thing. Um, I mean, look, I'll just jump into it. I just got a message that our uh, film just got picked up by The Atlantic. Oh, oh. Leon. congrats. Which uh, one? Uh, Leon, so the Atlantic Select series. So, you know, we just got a Vimeo staff pick. We've gone into a few festivals. So that's been, I would say, one of that's been easily the, the bright light for me. And we've hey. also created a mental health curriculum along with it. So we dropped uh, Leon's reading list. We're going to be dropping different aspects to it. So, look, at the end of the day, whatever, there's a lot of shit swirling around. And I think, unfortunately, Leon was talking about this, but like some people don't always want to like, talk about his story because he survived, which I think is so messed up. But Leon could have been Trayvon. He could have been, you know, yeah. Sandra. He could have been all these different people, but he survived. And the important part of his story in the film and this, this curriculum uh, is him talking about his path to healing and, and living, you know, a healthy life. So anyway, for people who haven't checked that out, it's on Vimeo. It's going to be coming up on the Atlantic. Uh, it's on Breakout. Check out... Uh, the Leon film and we're going to be putting out curriculum and there's a lot of just good stuff there. And look, we can't figure out all the macro, which we've talked about, but there's a lot of micro stuff that we can do. And I think this will, will be part yeah. of it. Uh, I would say for me, I, geez, I've been thinking about a lot of stuff. And I, one thing I thought about this morning was why are we so hated? And I'm tr just, I'm always trying to figure this out, right? Like to me, black people, all we've done to the world is give the world soul and beauty and everything that the world um, <laughs> to have. And, and what I decided was that maybe we're hated because we're so soulful and so beautiful and people are jealous of, of that. Um, so that's the positive for me that we're just soulful and beautiful people and maybe that's why we hate it. So to me, that's a weird out of positive I, I came out with. 
So, well, for me, just just another week where you know, um, uh, well, here, here's my big my big highlight. I saw this really interesting, or I started this really interesting um, PBS documentary about the history of New York. Number one, and also I'm reading this book oh. about the the busing riots in Boston. You know, local history, mm. and as a result, I'm learning a ton about the Irish. So. Oh fascinating let's we got to wow. do we got to do a pod on the irish and their history it's just yeah. i know a little bit about it but it's just so enlightening shout outs to the irish let's bring an irish friend on to do that the irish get a lot of love in the early days of the power broker ah it's yeah. like 15 books in one i'm, I'm almost done it's crazy yeah, i got I've been it. reading that Damn. book for months all right fellas uh we'll be back next week appreciate everyone tuning in this was a good one